Well, good morning, family. Grateful for our worship team, our pastor, Zach. Aren't we blessed to have this team? Amen. Yes, I think we could give him a hand over that, right? That's appropriate. It's just such a blessing uh, as we worship in song. And now let's worship in the word, shall we? We're going to continue in our journey through the book of Daniel. Our address today is Daniel 9. I invite you to turn your Bibles there. We'll be looking at the first 19 verses. Just a quick reminder about who he was. Daniel was this exile. And now as we come to this place in this book, he's advanced in years. He's he's in his 80s. He's been a captive since he was probably about 16. 67 years. He's been a captive. What we know is that He's been refined by fire. He was highly educated. He was a person of great influence in the kingdoms that he served. He was both global. He was godly. He was a great man of prayer. If you remember correctly, the reason he was thrown into the the lion's den was because he wouldn't stop praying. And so today... We're going to look at one of the most overlooked treasures in the entire book of Daniel. We're going to see a complete prayer of his found in chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. Now, some of you who are students of end times may be wondering, well, aren't you going to deal with the 70 weeks, Pastor Mike? And I I tell you that I will, but will you give me two weeks? I'll deal with it two weeks from today if God allows because of the importance of that passage. But I wanted to focus on this passage this morning, as I was reading and meditating on this the last few weeks, I was stirred to the depths of my soul by his prayer, his response. And that's my prayer for us today. And as we look at these verses, we'll, we'll see not only how, how Daniel prayed, but we can learn why he prayed the way that he did. And we'll learn that those issues are closely linked to the question of why. Why did he live this way? Why did he pray this way? Maybe you've wondered why. You know, don't you, that you're going to never find happiness by pursuing it, right? Happiness is based on circumstance. I'm not sure what it's like in your life, but hey, circumstances can change pretty drastically in mine overnight. Happiness is a fleeting emotion, untrustworthy. You'll find contentment, contentment, fulfillment in your life by pursuing purpose and meaning. Contentment does not come in the how or how much or the where or the who. Beloved, contentment will always be found in the why. Why? The purpose 
What's your purpose? What brings us meaning in our life? We'll see this on this prayer of Daniel. We'll, we'll learn and he'll, he'll move quickly to the center of the reason why he lived and why he prayed. Look with me at verse 1, please, of Daniel 9. The Word of God says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent, a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. Now, this is important for multiple reasons. It's a chronological date stamp. It's the year 538 or 539 B.C. Daniel's telling us this is when these things happened. The kingdom of Babylon had just come to an end. Now the Persians are in power under Darius. And Daniel says, in the first year of that guy's reign, Darius's reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word, and some translations right there say the revealed word, but according to the word of the Lord, to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years years. So Daniel is saying to us, in the first year after the Babylonian kingdom came to a close, I was reading in the books. I was reading the word of the Lord, particularly the book of Jeremiah. And what we can infer and, and understand and glean from this is that that seems to be the very first time he was able to lay his hands on that scripture. And he elevates it to the level of Scripture because he says, this is the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah. So he's opening this scroll. He's an old man. He's reading in this scroll something amazing. And if you're able, I invite you to stand with me because what I want us to do is we're going to read, I'll read out loud what he's reading That day, stand in honor of God's word if you can. Here's Jeremiah 29. Here's what he was reading that he's referring to in that second verse. He says, for thus saith the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, Jeremiah says, I will visit you. I will fulfill to you my promise, bring you back to this place. Don't you know Daniel's soul had to be thrilled at those words? 67 years he's lived under oppression. God's promising now to take them back. Maybe this verse, next verse, is very familiar to you. I know it's used often in Christian circles. But now we get the context of it. He says, for I know the plans I have for you. Declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future And a hope. Is that not amazing? (laughs) Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. And when you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations, all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. This is the word of the Lord.
Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So as Daniel finds this new scroll, this new Word of God, can you imagine his thoughts and his sentiments and emotions when he reads this? It must have been, wow, I can pack my bags. (laughs) It's almost time for me to get to go home. The 70 years, he could do the math. The 70 years was drawing to a close. And what we find here is as Daniel has read that passage in that Scripture, he begins to respond and pray in response to the promises of God that he sees in Jeremiah. He prays under the authority of God's Word. And he prays, how he prays in response to those Scriptures in Jeremiah is noteworthy. This is what stirred my soul these last few weeks, beloved. It's amazing, his response. It's unexpected. I believe it's counterintuitive. And here it is. Let's look at verse 3. After he's read that, here's what he says. I turn my face to the Lord. Can you see him in his prayer balcony? This place where for all of his life in captivity, all those 67 years, he would open the windows and face Jerusalem Three times a day and he would pray. He's saying, I turn my face to the Lord God. Seeking Him by prayer. Please for mercy. With fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. That challenges me. Instead of him calling up his friends, maybe some of those guys, we don't know if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were still alive. We don't know. It's been a long time. Maybe some of the kids that were young, real young. But instead of calling them up and say, hey, let's have a party. We're going home. Let's pack our bags. Let's celebrate what God has done. No. Instead, he turns his face to God. He fasts. Fasting is not to be diverted by food when you're in a season of prayer. Amen? Amen. When he turned his face towards God, the idea in the language is this. It's an intentional turning away from all other things, any kind of distraction that could take him away from his focus on the Lord. He set that aside and devoted his full attention to the Lord God. He put on sackcloth. Instead of getting his traveling clothes made of nice fabric, he puts on mourning clothes. And he covered himself. Don't miss this church. He covered himself in ashes, which symbolized his grief and his humility. Instead of celebrating, we find Daniel penitent before the Lord. Look at verse 4. He said, I prayed to the Lord my God. I made confession saying, and here's where we see him begin to pray right here. Pray. He says, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments. 
So as he begins his prayer, I want us to look at this prayer, and I've divided it into four parts. And here's the first part. We might call it invocation. It's a careful and thoughtful approach or address. Daniel took the time to think about who God was as he approached him in prayer. He praises God because he is fearsome and faithful and awesome. And church, can I just share with you today that that word that's translated awesome here has lost its meaning in our culture? Awesome in this culture meant this. It meant that God is terrible. What that literally means is to be on your face before the Lord God is a terrible thing. It's a terrifying thing, is it not? We've lost the awe and reverence of God. It doesn't mean that He's not loving kind. It doesn't mean that His love and grace endures forever. Those of us that follow Christ know about His grace, do we not? We know about His love. His forgiveness. He's also just. He's mighty. It's a terrible thing to fall in the hands of a living God. Do you know who you're talking to when you pray? Do you approach Him with awe and reverence? Sometimes I believe the reason people have difficulty when they pray is they don't know who they're talking to. They don't know who the Lord is. Well, how did Daniel know who God is? Well, what we discover in this chapter, he knew something of the character of God because he had read the books. One of the most striking things about this prayer that we'll discover is that he uses Jeremiah's language in his prayer towards God. He repeats the Scripture to the Father. I wish I could tell you that the love I have for this work of literature was as great as it, by God's grace, it is in my life when I was younger. This is a blueprint for our lives for faith and practice. I'm not saying God doesn't speak to us in other ways. Of course He does, and He can. Nothing is impossible with Him. Amen? But the primary way that He speaks to us is through His Word. That's why we encourage men and women in our church. That's why what you'll hear from Pastor Bobby and Pastor Trey and God willing myself, you'll hear the Word of God. Not because we're super spiritual, but because we know this is the answer. There's not a question or situation you will face in your life where you will not find the truth, the guidance in His Word. Daniel knew about God because he knew the books. <laughs> He's an old man. He found something new. Have you discovered in the Word of God lately something new? Does it not thrill your soul? Here's the second part of his prayers. Confession. And that basically means he agreed with God about our sin. And I want to focus on the plural here. And much of these 19 verses are focused on confession, and there's a reason. Let's read a portion of his confession, beginning in verse 5. He says, We, 
And I want you to notice and mark that word. It's we, it's plural. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled. It's like Daniel really can't find enough vocabulary uh, to describe the depths of their sin. We've turned aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness. What he's saying is, you were right, Lord. What you told those prophets, we should have listened. You were right. We were wrong. But to us, righteousness belongs to the Lord, but to us, open shame. I want you to remember that when Daniel was taken into captivity from Jerusalem, he's a young guy. No older than 16, most likely, maybe 14. He's torn from his family, from his home, from his faith. He's not responsible for the condition of the city of Jerusalem. That wasn't his fault. And now he's lived in exile for 67 years. And what we know from the scripture is he has walked uprightly before the Lord his entire time. Faithful to God. But notice, he's not confessing their sins. He's confessing our sin. Not they have sinned, you all have sinned. No, Daniel's saying, and may I say by extension, I'm saying today, we have sinned. And in this way, Daniel demonstrates something that church, I believe, is sorely lacking in the church today, and it's this. It's corporate confession. Corporate confession. Listen, beloved. Our nation is divided in so many ways, is it not? Along so many lines. It's a debased culture. Our country walks in darkness. Does the church share any responsibility for that? For broken homes, for racial division, for despair, for the addictions, for the crises that we see in marriage, gender challenges, our schools. Is the salt responsible when the society is rotten? Is the light accountable? When the people are walking in darkness. And in light of the condition of our nation, Daniel teaches us this. That restoration will not come from condemning their sins. That's not how restoration will come. Restoration. Revival. New beginnings instead will come from confessing our sin. That should get an amen at least. Amen. Are you with me? Too often the church is known for what it's against. Let's get right with God by beginning the confession of our own sin. Let's get our house in order first. Isn't that what our master taught us? 
when the Pharisees were constantly looking at the sins of others and recounting that to Jesus, do you remember what he told them? Get the log out of your eye first. <laughs> I love how the chosen did that. You know, when he holds up that, have you guys seen the chosen part where they do that? I love that. You got a log in your eye, he's telling those people. Until you get the log out of your eye, why are you worried about the speck in someone else's? Daniel providing a beautiful model for corporate confession. He's saying, not them, but us. How long has it been, Christian, since you confessed? Corporately. Our sins. Our sin of silence. Our sin of selfishness. Our sin of hypocrisy. We see this corporate confession, and then after that, here's the third part of his prayer. It's petition. It's where Daniel begins to ask of the Lord. Look at verse 16. He says, O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins, there it is, there's corporate again, I mean, Daniel's not responsible, but he's putting himself, our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword. And here's what this means. That word means reproach. Jerusalem and your people have become a reproach among all who are around us. He's saying we are a reproach to the Persians. We're an embarrassment. Now, therefore, O oh, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And don't miss this church. Here it is. For your own sake. You see that? For your own sake, O oh Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. He's not saying, Lord, for the sake of me, will you help me out? here, or for the sake of my family, or for my church, or even for my nation. No, he's saying, for your sake, Lord, would you do this? Because what he knew, if he prayed that way, guess what? He would be blessed beyond measure. That's the purpose and the reason he lived. I could end the sermon right there. We could beat the Baptist to lunch. <laughs> I have a few more things, though. Is that all right? Daniel says, turn your anger away from Jerusalem. Why? For your own sake, Lord. So Daniel is praying the promises of God. We see that. He's recounting what Jeremiah said he would do. He's praying back to the Lord the words of Jeremiah. It delights the Lord when we pray the word of God to him. It delights him. So we've seen invocation, we've seen confession, we've seen petition. But here's the most important part, I believe, of Daniel's prayer. And it's the fourth part, and it's motivation. It's motivation. Why? Why should God hear? Why should He see? Why should He act? I want to focus for my last few moments on this compelling reason behind Daniel's prayer. It's His passion. You see it, it will come forth in these verses, look, and this is the, the end of verse 16, which we read earlier. Look at it. 
If you remember, he said, and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. In other words, a reproach. Your people, God. They're a reproach. Daniel's saying, the Persians who have conquered us and are are oppressing us, they're mocking us. And since we're your people, they're mocking you. They're making fun of the city of Jerusalem and the temple that's in desolation. And since it's your city and your temple, they're making fun of you, oh God. And Daniel's is putting his finger right on this reality. And here it is. That God's reputation among the nations had been compromised. Because God had a righteous judgment on the nation of Israel, because He warned them multiple occasions, unless you repent of your sin and turn faithfulness to Me, I'm going to destroy this place and I'm going to send you all in exile. They didn't obey. But because of that, because the people were sent into exile and still were there, there was this sentiment that maybe God is not able to restore. Maybe He's not able to send back. Maybe He's not able to rebuild. Maybe He's just not able to do those things. And Daniel's saying this, O Lord. He's petitioning Him, O Lord, Jerusalem is destroyed. Your temple lies in ruins. And that's a reproach to your name. Look at verse 19 and we see it. There he goes, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not. Why? Here it is again. For your own sake, O my God. Because your city. It's not our city anymore. It's your city. Your people are called by your name. You see, Daniel prayed for the Lord's sake. It was the driving passion of his life. And he wanted God's people, those that he served, he wanted them to know who God is. One of the things that we can learn from this prayer, this should be a mantra in our life, and it's this, it's our motivation for praying is literally our motivation for living. It's the reason Daniel would go to his prayer room three times a day. He didn't do that just to check a box. He knew it was life to him. It was life-giving. Intimate fellowship with the Father. Face-to-face. And we, as the people of God, We live for the same purpose. And here it is. We live and we pray for the sake of His name. Let me unpack that a few moments. So I want to say to you this morning, beloved, that at the end of your prayers, whatever the focus may be, whatever the request may be, if you cannot say, listen church, if you cannot say, for the sake of your name, Lord, your glory, your renown, if you can't say that, then you're asking and praying amiss. Amen? How would it demonstrate God's glory if He answered your prayer? How would it enhance His reputation? You see, our Savior, Christ Jesus, lived and prayed for this very purpose. If you remember, it's all throughout the Gospels. If you, but if you remember the occasion when He's going into Jerusalem 
during his time of passion to lay down his life. And, and if you remember, he make that statement to his father as he's praying in, in John, the Gospel of John, where he said, save me from this hour. And I want to pause right there for a minute. Aren't we glad that Christ was a human? <laughs> you see his, his burden. Can you imagine carrying the weight of the sin of the world? I'm above my pay grade right now, folks. <laughs> I know what my weight is. What would it be like for a human being. I know he's totally God, but he's totally human too. He's truly human. What would it be like to carry that weight? And so he's saying to his father, is there a way? <laughs> but instead, look, look, thank God he didn't stop there, right? Because he says, but for this purpose I came. What is it? Father, glorify your name. That was his purpose. Can I tell you, church, that's why you were created. You were created. The enemy tries to hide this and mask it. You were created for the glory of His name. Period. That's why you were created. And listen, beloved, if that's not the purpose of your prayers, why you're praying, it's probably because it's not the way you're living. We live and pray with this burden in our culture today. And it's this that far too often the people of God are a reproach unto the Father. And as we pray for our families, let us pray this way. Oh God, be honored in their lives, not embarrassed by their lives. I don't hear many amens there. As we pray for our church, let us pray this way. Move among us, Lord. Why? For your reputation's sake, for the sake of your name, your renown. Daniel prayed this way. More importantly, he lived this way. That's the call on us. Richard Wormbrand was the founder of Voice of the Martyrs and International Christian Response. He spent 14 years in prison and hard labor and torture in Romania. His wife, Sabina, was sentenced to three years of hard labor. And here's the reason why that happened. The communists, when they took over Romania and brought it under Stalin's rule, after World War II, they brought all the religious leaders together in a congress. There were priests and pastors there from all over Romania. And they, their design, the Communist Party's design, was that these pastors and priests would declare loyalty to the Communist Party and to Stalin. And they made each of them, the 4,000 there, and they made each of those pastors and priests go to the microphone and pledge their support and allegiance to the Communist government. One by one, out of fear maybe, self-interest, one by one, they pledged allegiance to the Communist Party. They would say things like, Jesus was a communist. <laughs> he endorsed those practices and they would approve of the way things were done. Richard Wormbrand was waiting his turn. He had been, he'd come to faith in Christ 10 years earlier. He was a Lutheran leader. He's sitting there waiting. His book, he describes it, 
what am I going to say? And his wife, listen, listen to this, folks. His wife leans over to him. And knowing full well the consequences, here's what she said. Richard, stand up and wash this shame from the face of Christ. Church, in many ways, there's shame on the face of Christ today. It's there because of our compromises. Let's don't say there. It's our compromises. It's there because of our inconsistencies. It's there because of our selfishness, our silence, our shallowness. It's there because of our lack of corporate confession. It's there because we're not walking in a manner worthy of the call. It's there because so many people who they don't really know who Jesus is. So they take his name in vain. If we're not praying and living for the sake of his name, we're missing the point. Let's pray. Lord God, you are fearsome and faithful. You are holy, high and lifted up. You are present. We praise you. We thank you. We humble ourselves this morning before you. And we confess. We confess our sin. We confess our silence. When we should be proclaiming the gospel, we confess our selfishness when we should be thinking of others. We confess that far too often we are shallow and short-sighted. And because of us, your reputation has suffered. Oh, Lord. Forgive us. Cleanse us. We seek your face today and ask that you would change us to the praise and glory of your name. We pray these things in the beautiful name of Christ Jesus. Amen.